la 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 toya ah uh, what's her name it's latoya ha 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 latoya it's latoya hey guys welcome 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 to the analog girl podcast this is your podcast for your 30 somethings and your 40 somethings and we are on a quest y'all we're on a quest to get our analog lives in this digital driven world you know quick quick thing uh, some people have asked why I named it Analog Girl. I named it Analog Girl because I am forever analog, but I do live in a digital world. We cannot deny that. But analog is my balance. Ad- analog is my foundation. That's where I started. I believe that um, in order to heal and in order to pro- to um, progress and be your your true authentic self, especially in this digital world, you need to go back to your foundation, go back to your balance, go back to um, where it all began, heal all of that, and then move forward and thrive in this digital driven world. So I hope that makes sense to y'all. And that is exactly why I created the Analog Girl and the Analog Girl podcast. Um, so anyway, yo, Welcome back, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to uh, the previous episodes. And if this is your first time, I hope that you enjoy what you're about to hear today. And I hope that you go back and listen to the other episodes. If you start from the beginning, um, you will see that this has been an ever-evolving and progressive uh, podcast. Uh, It started out real rough and raw. It's still kind of raw, but you can see the transitions. You can see the progression. You can see the growth um, in this podcast. So I urge you to listen to the other um, episodes when you're done with this one, only when you're done y'all. And and don't forget guys, please, when, if you're listening on iTunes, Google play stitcher, um, I think I'm on Spotify now. Uh, If you're listening to me there, any of those outlets, please don't forget to rate, subscribe, comment, reach out to your girl, please. It helps me so much. It helps me. It gets me up there in the ranks. Uh, It helps me to uh, have some leverage to uh, position myself to get a little more help with this podcast because I'm doing it all by myself, y'all. So crazy. Um, So, and also my website is super live, y'all, theanaloggirl.com. That is theanaloggirl.com. Check it out. I have a blog on there. I'm also going to be starting to vlog my life experiences um, and my day-to-day um, you can check that out. I have a Patreon account that you can link to. Um, what else? Uh, you can also get episode listings and more information about the episode on the website and just find out more about me. You can also book me if you have any events that you want me to come and speak at and speak to anybody, um, your your audience, whoever your audience is, young, old, men, women, whomever that is trying to overcome anxiety, um, fear, depression, and um, survive in this life, you can book me there. All right. So I think I've done everything as far as the housekeeping. So let's just get into the check-in, y'all. Uh, first off, I hope your anxiety levels are low to non-existent. If they aren't, you know what we do, guys. We just do a, we do our quick breathing exercise. Let's just take one in through the nose and hold it. And then release all that stress out through the mouth. <sighs> Keep pushing your breath until you can't push any more breath out. And release all that negative negative space, all that negative energy that's in your body. Breathe one more time in through the nose. 
and let go all of that stress out through the mouth. And remember to keep breathing through your day. Always do quick, um, you can do it quiet. No one has to even know you're doing it. I do it all the time. And you just start taking breath in through the nose and out through the mouth and deep breaths and it will calm you down. Not maybe not a hundred percent, but it will at least get you to a start where you're calming down in whatever situation that you're enduring at the time. And you can do it while you're listening to me throughout the whole episode. Uh, it might help you. So, okay. My anxiety check-in for this week. Um, this week I'm okay. Uh, I haven't been panicky. Um, I've had intrusive thoughts. Um, the intrusive thoughts, um, are less this week. I'm, um, told you guys, I always have intrusive thoughts about fears of death um, and what happens after death and all of this kind of stuff and what is life. Um, It hasn't been um, as pronounced this week, but they are there. So I think I am learning. I think I'm getting better with um, dealing with those thoughts and kind of just like letting those thoughts come and and letting them pass and moving on to to a better thought, a more positive thought and trying not to focus on that. Um, so I think I'm getting much, much better with the intrusive thoughts, um, when it comes to life and death and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've been focused on, you know, launching the website and trying to build up all these ideas. Um, and I'm getting a little overwhelmed and I think I'm just, I have all these ideas in my head and they're all jumbled up. And I think when you suffer with anxiety, depression, PTSD, any other, any kind of mental health, OCD, you know, uh, bipolar disorder, all my people out there who are suffering with that. I know it's like when we have creative thoughts, when we have things that we want to do, it's like it all comes to you. Um, at once. And then it's like, okay, so what do I do with this? I don't know what to do with this, you know? And I wish that I had a team that I can like bounce ideas off of and work with them, but it's like, everybody's doing their own thing. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, they don't, they can't be a hundred percent available. And then sometimes I sound off my, my, my ideas and it's no shade to, um, any of the people that I sound off to, but I think it kind of opens the door for them to create their own ideas. And then sometimes I, you know, I see similar things happening, but I don't mind that it happens that the people, you know, they start to do this. Oh my gosh, sneezing, excuse me. Uh, So I don't think that, um, it's a bad thing that, I see sometimes this, the ideas that I thought I would like to do, um, manifest itself in someone else's life. But at the same time, it's kind of disheartening to me. Cause it's like, girl, you missed the opportunity. You were so busy talking about it and running it past everybody. Um, and you missed the opportunity to do it. So somebody else did. That is my takeaway from that. Um, I guess. And I'm also just learning that sometimes there's things that you just got to move in silence and you got to keep to yourself. You know, for instance, um, you know, I gave, I, I pitched a whole idea when I used to work at BET um, about an interior design show, right, y'all? And <laughs> so, like, it was the whole, the name, everything changed or whatever. And then I just saw, you know, it was like reincarnated in a bit in a holiday spirit. 
Um, but and the, the name was the same, but spelled differently. It was just like, wow. So I think it was just, I, it, it wasn't shocking. I was very happy for the people involved for in the, um, in the, uh, commercial, uh, uh, in the project, I guess, or whatever. I'm very happy for them. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, girl, damn, you be onto shit. Like you be knowing, you be knowing what, um, what works and what doesn't, you just need to flesh it out more. And I think also I just need to, a lot of the times, like keep things to myself and, you know, pray on what's the better team to work with and, um, pray on who I, you know, who God can place in my life to help me execute it so that I'm not just sitting up with all of these ideas, 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 and I'm running it past everybody. And I'm just running, just spewing out all my ideas to everybody. And then I see them come to fruition in other people's lives. So I, that is one of the lessons that I learned, um, this week. I, at first I was, um, going to let my anxiety talk me into thinking that, oh, these people are stealing from me. Oh, nothing's ever going to work for me. It's like, I'm giving all these ideas and it's just, it's only manifesting for other people and it's not manifesting for me. Um, so I, you know, I had to backtrack and be, and, and, and again, I had posted on Instagram, like you have to decipher whether it's anxiety or it's intuition. Uh, and I believe that that was my anxiety trying to rile me up into thinking that everyone hates me, everybody, everyone's out to get me. And that's not just, that's just not the case. You know, people are just out here surviving and living and doing their thing and, you know, Hey, if, if it works for them, it works for them. It might not have worked for me. And that's probably why I haven't done it. I don't know, but I feel like, um, I gotta stop. I gotta learn how to keep things to myself and I gotta, uh, work on, um, uh, I just got to work on not being so overwhelmed and feeling like I've constantly got to reach out to people. Like I can't get the work done. I can get the work done. I don't always need to be, I don't always need to go to people and hear their, um, their perspective on what my idea is. I can get this stuff done. And when it's time for me to reach out to people when, um, for help, for sponsorship or whatever, that's when I start to open my mouth. So that's one thing I've learned. Um, and this week, guys, oh my God, the first, this is the first time this week that I went to the dentist and I didn't have a panic attack. And let me tell y'all, I, cause people who suffer with, um, panic attacks and like high anxiety, if you get, um, Novocaine sometimes, sometimes the Novocaine increases or triggers the panic attacks because, um, the, a couple months ago I went to, the dentist and they gave me Novocaine. And let me tell y'all, I was in that seat bugging out because my heart started racing. I started getting all this like flush feeling and heat and everything. So I like sat up real quick, like, "Uh uh-uh, wait a minute, something ain't right. So then I looked at the dental assistant, I think who gave me the Novocaine or something. I was like, girl, I think you gave me too much Novocaine. I hope I'm not over D. I'm not, I hope I'm not ODing. Am I going to OD? And she was looking at me like, you can't OD on Novocaine, girl. Like, I mean, I don't think I gave you too much. (laughs) So I was just like, listen, I'm bugging out. So the, my dentist came in and she was like, um, you know, that is one of the things that if you do have anxiety and you have panic attacks or you came in very anxious, um, the Novocaine could tr- trigger a panic attack. So um, I then became scared to go to the dentist all the time because I'm like, oh, fuck, yo. Every time I get this Novocaine, this is going to send me into this panic attack. 
But so anyway, this week I went to the dentist because I'm finishing up some work and I got Novocaine and your girl did not have a panic attack. I sat there, I was breathing, I did deep breathing and they had a television in there. So I kind of focused on the television, what the show was, it was Criminal Minds or something. I don't even watch that, but I just focused on the television and what was going on, not focusing on the needle, not focusing on Novocaine, if it's going to give me a panic attack. And I was breathing deep to the point where my dentist was like, you all right? I was like, yeah, you know, just breathing deep. Just keep going. Don't worry about me breathing, but just keep going. So, and I did not have a panic attack. So I was very happy about that, guys. Like super happy. I feel like that was an, uh, that was an accomplishment for me. I don't know. Might not, you know, it, it might be for someone else too that you know. Now, you know, when you go to the dentist, if you do have, if you're feeling really anxious, got to calm yourself down. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, so. This Dwight Howard situation that's going on, I don't know if you guys have um, heard, um, supposedly he was dealing with some, uh, uh, do we call them transvestites? I don't know. What do we call them? Um, um, Transgender. No, we call them transgender. He was dealing with a transgender woman, um, supposedly, and like some prostitutes or whatever, but he was in a relationship with this transgender transgender woman, allegedly, and she has these... um, conversations that she recorded and all of this. I don't know who's out to get who, who, but the only thing about this situation, like one, it was a chuckle for me that she said that he was a bottom and then come to find out he's out, um, on games, out of games for glute injuries. So, I mean, it just, it just threw me for a chuckle and I felt better that I chuckled afterwards, but it was a chuckle. It was a chuckle indeed. Um, but what I what I wanted to just speak about really quickly um, about this Dwight Howard story is how sad it is that in this world we can't be ourselves, and in this world we have to live um, these secret lives. And if in in fear of your your the secret of who you are and who your authentic self is, in fear of that getting out to the world, you. Um, you go, you revert to such desperate measures of threatening someone's life and, um, you know, just doing all this desperation stuff, like, and causing people pain and, um, just wanting and wanting to kill people for them knowing who you are authentically. And it's just so, um, sad that, you can't be yourself in this world, especially when you're in the, in these type of industries and you have to hide. Now, allegedly, he might not even be that. But if the case is that, if that, if it is the case that he is this person, I find it very sad that he can't be who he is without the ridicule and the, and the jokes and all of that kind of stuff. And he's resorted to threatening people's lives with a pastor because you know that does not make any sense. But I thought all of I thought about all of this to say like I honestly want to be on a quest to be my true authentic self. Like I want to know exactly who my true authentic self is and I and I feel like this year with the whole with struggling with anxiety the way I have has opened the door for me to really um, hone in and figure out who my true authentic self is. And that is what I plan to do. All right, guys, you know what it's time for. It's time for Tales from the Anxiety Zone. My guest today is um, a friend of mine. I've known her for many, many years. I met her actually through um, my late friend, Amina 
Wilson. And I met her because I was cutting school uh, and decided that I was going to go to uh, school with Amina because Amina had one of the best, she went to one of the best schools in the Bronx. It was like this private school called Fieldston over on Riverdale. Riverdale was where all the rich white folks live in the Bronx. And I cut school so I can go chill with her in Fieldston because she would tell me how much fun it was and blah, blah, blah. So I cut school and was running through them hallways with her at this um, this uh, prep school, Fieldston. And I met Kadian. She that was the first time um, Amina introduced me to her. I just remember Kadian being this like tall, beautiful um, girl, and she was just always very trendy, even back then. Um, and um, we just always kept in contact, which is which is weird. Like we just I don't know. I there was I think we started to have mutual friends, and we just always kept in contact. We would see each other um, here and there at different parties or wherever, and um, we always kept in contact. Um, so Kadian is like the prototype. Her and her family is like the prototype of the black family. I'm trying to tell y'all. And she's a VP of a company called, hold on now, hold on y'all. I don't want to say, I don't want to say it wrong. Um, Refro, I want to say. Anyway, she'll explain. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I think it's called Refro. Um, and it is a, it's one of the largest sock companies in the world. They distribute like all the socks in America or the world actually. And she is vice president of digital there and direct to consumer. She's very smart. Um, she's very, and she's, she just speaks really well. She's just perfect in my eyes. And I thought that she would be the best person to talk to about, um, the black superwoman, the superwoman syndrome. And this doesn't just relate to black women. I mean, we're black and we have to talk about our black experience. And I'm saying this because I know that I have listeners who are not black and y'all got to understand, like, this is just us talking about our experience. Um, but you can also relate as a woman. Um, so we're talking about the, uh, black woman, super, a black superwoman syndrome that's going on and a suffering and silence. And, um, the effects that it's been having on um, women, black women and their mental health um, in trying to achieve this quote unquote American dream, be successful, work, get money, buy lubes, all of this time, all of this stuff, get the, get the, get the name brand and do all of this and raise your family and then also have time for self-care. So me and Katie and talk about that. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. She drops a lot of jewels. Guys, you know, I'm always talking about dropping jewels. She drops a lot of jewels. She um, gives her insight on what she thinks is the best way to navigate sometimes having fucked up workplaces uh, or workplaces with people who just don't accept you for who you are. She gives some good. She gives some good pointers. She gives she makes you think actually about um, the route that you're taking um, right now and whether it is the right route or not. So get in tune, guys. Toya D, who was living a life of complete and utter trash, y'all, spending money frivolously on clothes, food, and bottles of wine that could be finished in one setting alone, ghosting Sally Mae and never paying a bill, y'all, going back and forth in relationships that were called situationships, a what? Going from one dead-end job to another, struggling with racial and social anxieties in the workplace. Nature finally took its course. On March 1st, Toya D woke up in an apparent dream 
world to which she calls the urban matrix and was left to figure out the true meaning of life and human existence. Join the journey on the quest to live fabulously, shamelessly, bold, and fearless and confident with mental health in the anxiety zone. Okay, so we're recording. Oh, so hi, Katie. How are you? I am doing well. It's good to see you. I know. It's good to see you. I love your face. Remember the last time I actually saw you in person? I mean, I think the last time I saw you was with Amina. We, I I feel like it was like the one of the, it was like a, it wasn't an event or something. I don't remember, but it definitely was years and years and years and years ago. Very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so welcome to the Analog Girl podcast. I'm not sure if you've like gotten tuned with the whole analog community, but this is a community that I have created and a podcast I created about mental health um, because of my struggles with mental health um, and how I just wanted to create a safe space and a relatable space for people um, and bridge the gap between the person, the therapist, the life coach, the blah, 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 whatever. Because sometimes we do get a little um, intimidated by um, the life coaches and the therapists. And I just wanted to be able to have some people listen and be and, and it be a relatable person that someone can talk to that's gone through the same things. Yeah. So that's why I created it. And analog girl just means that I'm, I'm forever analog girl. Uh, <laughs> I'm forever a 90s girl. Yes. Um, and <laughs> I am just, and I call analog, I call an analog is just my balance. Like it's just my foundation is being grounded. Um, and then, you know, just worrying and learning how to live in this digital life. I mean, it's really smart. It's really witty. And I applaud you for doing this because I think that it's a narrative and it's a type of conversation that really needs to be had. And I think oftentimes, like to your point, it's about going to like the therapist, the psychologist and so forth. But we just need to create our own community because we're all struggling with very similar things. And I think there is something knowing that other people have the same challenges and struggles, it's kind of like it gives you a moment to breathe, right? You're like, oh my God, so I'm not the only one. Like you feel that way too, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really applaud you and congratulate you for doing this because this is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we can start out with um, a little bit of who you are, um, what you do. And for, for those of you guys that don't know um, any anything about Katie, some people might know because, you know, she be traveling the world and looking fabulous while doing it. And um, her and her family, they are... They are tantamount. You guys are kind of like, um, y'all kind of like Barack and um, Michelle with Sasha and Malia, except you got a boy and a girl. Right. <laughs> so it's super cute. They be having photo shoots like every week. <laughs> yep, we like, got another one dropping soon. Yes. Like y'all be having the like first family photo shoots. Every like it's fly, y'all. Like they are the prototype for the black family. And I absolutely love it. So guys, and she Aww. is super fabulous. And your fashion is always up to date. You always look, you always look at, from the time I met you, you was always very fabulous, very pretty, very, very stylish. So, you know, just let the folks know what you do, what you do with your life and uh, who you are. Yeah. So I, like you said, I am a mom. 
Mm-hmm. I am a wife, I'm a career woman, and I'm also a daughter, and I'm a friend. So mm-hmm. I am the vice president of digital and direct-to-consumer for Renfro. Renfro is the largest sock company in the world. We have 22 brands, which includes like Fruit of Bloom, Hot Socks, um, New Balance, Merrill, basically all the socks that you can think of, we carry. And we like to say like one out of every four socks that is worn in the United States is usually one of our socks. Mm -hmm. So right now, actually I just came from a meeting and I'm in North Carolina. So yes, I am traveling. I travel Mm -hmm. every week. Mm. That's another crazy dynamic that I got going on, but you do what you got to do. Yep. And I just came from a meeting, a corporate strategy meeting, where we were talking about like all the digital strategy and what I'm going to do to lead the organization, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, I am a wife. I've been married for 16 years. Wow. We've been together officially for 22 years. Um, I have two kids. <laughs> I have my son who's seven. Who is MBA bound, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a daughter, Naya, who's 10, and she'll be 11 in January. Mm-hmm. And she is taken after her brother, and now she plays softball, and she's mm-hmm. really good and really proud of them. They are, they are doing extremely, extremely well, and I'm really, really, really proud of them. Mm, beautiful. But, yeah. But, and I have, I mean, and my husband, I mean, he is just like the most supportive man you can think of. I mean, like just, trust me, we've been through it and we are at a really good place right now, but there were so many challenges and struggles that people just don't know because all you see is like the curated social media, right? Like I'm not posting the arguments. Mm-hmm. that I have with my husband because that's not about you. You know, that's about us. I don't want to share that stuff with the world. But oftentimes I think people just see that and mm-hmm. idolize that, not really knowing the struggles and challenges that went into developing and really growing that and nurturing that relationship. Oh, yeah, for sure. We And, you know, it's just with... Social media in general, like I just, we always just see the best that people put forth. And I don't know why we don't have the wherewithal to know that no, nobody's life is perfect. But you, and, and it's like, I know it, but I can still see people living these, these perfect lives, honey. And I still be like, what the, yo, why is this shit not happening for me, Lord? Like, what is going on? <laughs> no, we're all guilty of doing that for real. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Um, so, okay. So I, you know, I reached out to you because, um, I, and I, I've told you, I had reached out to you months ago yeah. about talking about mental health, black women specifically. And I know that I don't have just black women, women listening guys, but I just wanted to, um, shed light on, uh, this topic that's coming to the surface again, because actually the article for Ebony was written originally in 2014 and has resurfaced again about the plight of the black superwoman. So guys, and I felt like Katie and definitely you fit um, the mold actually for that. Cause you are traveling, you, you are a vice president and you have to travel weekly and you maintain like, you maintain a family like those your kids look happy like they don't look stressed you know what i mean so it's like you kind of i think you would be the perfect person to speak to this 
Um, let me just say uh, some of the articles and the things that I've been reading, I don't necessarily agree with everything. Um, uh, I don't feel like there's all, everything is placed on the black woman. I could, you know what I mean? Some people might want to fight me on that, but I personally don't feel like every weight is placed on a black woman. Like we're the ones who have to be the saviors. I get what they're saying when they're looking at the, the imagery that we see, like the Olivia Popes and, um, Annalise on how to get away with murder and all that stuff. I'm like, portraying black women as the savior, but I don't necessarily think in all, in everyday life that always happens. We do have pressure. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, I don't think it necessarily happens like that, but I think that there's some people that look at us and think we're supposed to be that. Um, and then that's where we in turn um, start placing the self-inflicting right. pressure on us. Right. So I wanted to kind of you know, get your perspective on the article. I know you said you might've reposted it. Yeah. Um, and what you feel about the whole quote unquote black superwoman syndrome. Right. So I completely don't like it. Mm -hmm. I consider myself a superwoman. Mm -hmm. I consider myself to be like extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I really feel like I am a regular woman. Mm -hmm. Just know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. I have my own interests. I have hobbies, I have, you know, things that I need to get done in my family. And I think that, you know, I, I'm going to speak personally for me, mm -hmm. like growing up, my mom was a single mom. Mm -hmm. so I saw her doing everything, right? Mm -hmm. I saw her paying the bills. I saw her working. I saw her cleaning. I saw that. So then when I got older and started engaging in my own relationships, guess what I was doing? I was doing all of that. <laughs> that's what you saw. That's what you so saw. I'm like, oh, I gotta have the perfect house. My house needs to be clean, speak and span. I need to pay the bills. I need to tell my husband what to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I was basically emulating what I had seen. Mm -hmm. And then my mom was emulating what she had seen. And mm -hmm. even in situations, you know, I'm West Indian. Yeah. The women do everything mm -hmm. the men kind of work and come home and maybe sit down and eat right? <laughs> <laughs> yes so it's like this history that's been imparted on us and i'm going to tell you like as i started to engage and with other groups like other races and i saw how other women were carrying themselves and they were talking about their husbands doing this and their husbands doing that. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, who? Right. What? It just brought, it was just very different to me. Cause I, you know, you look at TV and you see stuff like whatever, that's not my life. Mm -hmm. And then like, I had to start taking responsibility because that was also a pain point for my, for my husband. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that he did, I was like, that's not how it's supposed to be done. You gotta clean it this way. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, oh, well, I'm just gonna go ahead and clean it. And he's like, all right, fine, if you wanna go ahead and clean it. Right. You're yeah, you're supposed to make that appointment. Okay, well, if you wanna go ahead and make the appointment. Then before you know it, I was doing everything. But then there's a part of it, like he felt emasculated, right? Because I'm here taking over and doing everything. And then I'm getting mad at him because he's not doing it. Mm -hmm. So I had to take a step back. We both kind of had to take a step back and say, okay, for this relationship to work, we all need to come to the table, but 
I had to take responsibility. And I think a lot of times as women mm-hmm. and as black women, we're not taking responsibilities for some of the own pain that we're inflicting on ourselves. And I'm not trying to like blame people because a lot of it's learned behavior, but sometimes it really have to be introspective mm-hmm. and say, it's okay if he cleans the kitchen and like, in my case, it was like a disarray. And <laughs> oh my God. And let me tell you, I'm like holding back for dear life, like not trying to jump in and just allow him to do it his way, even though it wasn't quote unquote the right way, which was really, really difficult for me because growing up, all I saw was my mom doing it. And I'm very particular and I'm like, I need to have it this way. But we have to learn to give up control. That was something that I struggled with because literally I was getting sick. I was getting sick because I was putting all this pressure on myself to be perfect. Like the perfect mom, the perfect wife and do things a certain way. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in my early 20s where I was like in pain and literally like in bed, not able to walk. And that's when I really was like, well, I really can't do this. Like physically and mentally, I couldn't do this. And I had to have a lot of like really hard conversations with my husband. And my husband was like, well, when I try to do this, then I would become really defensive when he was trying to explain himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I mean, girl, I guess it's 16 years now, but it's, it's a lot of work you know, that was put into it. And there's a lot of introspection that had to be done where I was really trying to look at myself in very clear lens mm-hmm. and like things I didn't, I didn't like about myself. Mm-hmm. I had to acknowledge, mm-hmm. right. I had to acknowledge and I had to try to really dig and find the source. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, you know, people, while people might put the uh, label of superwoman on you or the strong friend or the strong wife or the, you know, this, just the woman in general who knows who has the answers while people might put those labels on you, you still have the wherewithal to be like, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the bandwidth for it mm-hmm. for all of this. You know what I mean? And be able to assess what it is that you can handle and what you can't and what, what you can pass off to other people. Right. You know? Um, <clears throat> so I totally agree with that. Now, do you feel like, um, is it the same aspects? Are your thoughts, are your thoughts the same for the workplace? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, because it's different. You know, like I'm all about the black man and uplifting the black man, honey, and just you know, like you uplift us too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> he does. He does have to uplift us. Um, but I always like go back to um, the uh, Willie Lynch syndrome and how that made that whole uh, perspective was to weaken the black man and push the black woman forward. And in in, in all actuality, it was emasculating the black man. And then by emasculating the black man, it breaks down the black family. So I'm always, uh, very sensitive to uplifting and building a black man and pushing him forward. So, um, I get what you're saying when it's like, you know, you have to fall back because it's so it's we it's ingrained in us right. to take lead. You can't do this. You can't say this. Or, or if he says, oh, mis- if he mispronounces the word, don't laugh because you know, they're so sensitive. I didn't realize that me laughing 
hurt your feelings. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Hurt his feelings. Right. Like it's just little simple things like that. So just learning that that's different than when you get into the workplace. Oh yeah. And <laughs> so how do you deal with the black woman super this not even black women, I guess for women too in general, but you know for us for the black yeah, girls, we, we have, got a double dagger. Going. We got the double it's a double whammy. Yeah. So um how do you deal with um the superwoman syndrome in the workplace? Yeah. So in the workplace, let me tell you, I've been through quite a bit. Mm. Absolutely. Um I, you know, not to pat myself on the shoulder, but I'm usually environments where I felt like I was smarter, mm. I was doing things better, and I was still not getting promoted, mm. right, in certain positions, um, you know, and then I did a lot of work on myself. I did a lot of research, and I was like, okay, I am not obviously trying to depend on these folks to promote me was not going to happen, was not happening. And my first job out of college, I was um, an assistant buyer at Lord & Taylor in the executive buying program. And what I started to do was like, you know, I was, I was like trying to find like the one black person in the office to kind of like align myself with. You know, that you know we I, always do that. Oh my God, and it's one of us. Yes. And sometimes you need that because you need that lunch break. You need someone, um, even if they're not necessarily helping you get promoted, but you need like that mental escape. Yeah. So some of the things where you feel like, am I making this up? Is this in my head? Yeah. Like you need that person. And sometimes when that person isn't there, that's when it becomes even harder when you can't even find that one black person, you mm -hmm. know, for solidarity. Um, it, it really is really difficult because we are trying to, as soon as we come into work environment, there are stereotypes about us Yeah, that, that we have to break. Right. So here I was a young assistant buyer. I got pregnant and I wasn't married. So I was like, ah, shit. Are you tight now? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and even though no one, but even though in their mind, they like, oh, they do that. Any, they do that yeah, all the time. No one treated me that way. No one was like, okay, oh, it's a stereotype. You know, no one did that. But just for me, it was like I always felt like there were this, there was this weight on my shoulders. Like I had to be better than everyone else because I didn't want them to automatically now think, oh my God, she's like this, you know, this black girl, that this and this and that. And I shouldn't be thinking that way because to your point, it happens in every race, mm -hmm. you know? And it wasn't just some random guy. And even if it was a random guy, who the hell cares? As long as I'm doing my job, you know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, but there is this constant like watching your back watching your every move and you know it reminds me of like William Dubois double consciousness like for a while I literally felt like I had two faces like I had my work face yeah. and I had my like outside of work face yeah and just trying to balance all of that and then I realized you know what whatever I can't do this anymore I have to be me and literally that moment when I realized like I have to be me and bring all of me to the workplace is when things went up. Mm -hmm. Ironically, here I am trying to like put on this pretense to try to be like this person that I thought they wanted me to be. 
And then I literally just started tapping into my own shit. Like, I'm like, I'm bringing all this stuff to the table, all that comes with this. And also because of the work that I do as a buyer, and I'm like, okay, we need to tap into the younger demographic. We need to tap into the urban market. I spoke up really loudly when it came to black consumers, minority consumers, Asian consumers, and really started to like define my own purpose and help build value, not just what I was doing, but to the organization. Well, how did you deal with fear with that because with me I obviously suffer with um, anxiety disorder actually and I in the workplace have always been very intimidated to speak up about black issues when I'm like in the minority in the meeting um, for fear that one that why she always pushing the black agenda I always fear that like that I always think in my head that they're they're like she doesn't care anything about any about anything else than the black agenda um or just just for fear of them just being like no you know what I'm saying? like I don't know like I just I don't even know what exactly the fear is other than that like I'm I don't want to like push black stuff down their throat you see, and that just goes back to the narrative too, because we're always tiptoeing. It's like, it goes back to the stereotype. You don't want to be considered the angry black woman. You don't want to be the one that's pushing the black agenda. But it's like, if we're at the table and no one is pushing anything black, then it's like, well, who's really representing, whether it's the black consumer or the black demographic, when it comes to viewership, like who's representing that? So at first I was very kind of like shy and I would kind of like be very passive aggressive and I would say things, but we have to think about the minorities and we have to think about the change in demographic, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, look, yeah. black folks are spending money. I did an analysis that showed that some of the stores in the urban areas, this is when I was at Macy's, mm-hmm. the stores in the urban areas, the average dollar is actually higher than stores in the suburban areas. So we need to make sure that we're catering to the black demographic, to the urban areas and developing really good operational excellence and making sure the assortment is to your liking and so forth. Mm-hmm. But at first I was very afraid. And I just said like one thing and they were like, huh, okay. Then I said another thing and they were like, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I actually found that I got more backlash from my from black, black folks. Because, you know, it's just, child, we just don't know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I like, we're, I, it's so frustrating. It's like, uh, I'm, yeah, I, it's just so frustrating when it comes to that. Now, so what, what, what's, your, what's your advice when the team is, say, not as receptive? Yeah, um, so I always try to pinpoint it back to dollars. Mm-hmm. So, or, or whatever the actual, I guess, strategic initiative is. So Mm -hmm. you're in the healthcare, you know, I don't know, space, and you're talking about different pharmaceuticals or different types of, I don't know, that can help people, always go back to how this can help probably the black demographic in this way and try to get some dollars. Let me tell you, everyone wants to make money. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm in the retail and now digital marketing space. So all I have to do, I mean, just look at the urban demographic, you look at the change in demographics, you start quantifying some dollars, look at some missed opportunities, and then all of a sudden, you know, that, that light bulb comes on and you're like, wait a minute, how did that work? So always try to tie, you know, your agenda or some of the comments that you're making back to the strategic corporate initiatives because ultimately regardless of your political affiliations how you feel about race relations dollars money speaks i mean that's just what it is that's what companies are doing so Mm -hmm. like a company like nike they're doing a lot of great strategic moves to cater to the change in demographics they're not just marketing to the demographic now they've done their research and they Mm -hmm. know that African-Americans, Latinos are going to probably be the majority in the next 10 years. Mm. We're going to be the minority. So they are making sure that they're building their brand equity and maintaining that for years to come. So whatever your company's strategic initiative, make sure that you understand that. Make sure that you can tie whatever it is that you want. If you want to start talking about you know, whatever issues that relate to you and also make it personal. Mm -hmm. Hey, when I shop, I do that all the time. I said, Hey, when I shop, this is my experience. And when my kids shop, this is their experience. And I try to tie back Gen Z, millennials and Gen X, you know, make it personal and then tie back to the strategic initiatives. And I know it's, it sounds easier said than done, I'm sure. And then, you know, all companies are not created equal. All teams are not created equal. So some companies are going to be more receptive than others. And also, the company may not be for you. Now, this is what I was going to say, because the last company I was at um, just wasn't for me. And and it was like I was trying my best to, I was trying my best to navigate grounds there, but it just wasn't working for me. One, I was... I was the only black girl for a minute and then they hired another black girl. And it was like, when they hired her, people was like watching us if we would speak and say, <laughs> then we would say hi to each other. It was just very weird. Yeah. Not to mention I was, it was like, I was working on an account that was a, um, uh, a hair care company and they call themselves like diversifying the brand, um, with women of color and girl, if I show you the women of color, the women of color look like Meghan Markle. Wow. So, you know, like it was just that. And then on top of me starting to have, um, I was having the mental breakdown. It's like I started in January and March is when I started having the depersonalization and all of this like weird disassociation stuff happening with me. Um, And I was trying to relate that to them, but it, it goes back to the power, the superwoman, black superwoman thing. It was like, they didn't know how to deal with me because I was looking, I was was vulnerable at that time. And it was just like, I, you know, to them, they're like, we didn't interview this girl. And when they let me go, that's one of the things she said. She was like, you're just not the same person we interviewed. And I was like, yeah, I know. I've been trying to tell you, like, I'm struggling. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, it's just hard when the company's just not for you and they're not, if they don't have your back. Um, and, you know, sometimes they just don't get it, you know, like, they just don't. And some folks just won't get it. And I think oftentimes we just stay very complacent because it's comfortable or it's like really hard to find a new job. And, and, and I know, I mean, I've been there, but sometimes the companies are just not 
for us. Yeah. It will never be for us. And yeah. if we're killing ourselves trying to fit into this space that is not supportive of us, there are options out there, you know, and we need to make sure that we are mentally in the space to be able to go after that option. Like gone are the days when you need to stay at a company 20 years, 10 years or whatever. You know, no. Now, and that's what no. I was going to say. What do you suggest to people who are in these jobs that are suffering with um, social anxiety, racial anxiety in the workplace? Like, what do you um, suggest for them? Because some of these people feel like, well, else am I going to go? Like, I'm scared or I'm looking for jobs and no one's hiring me, you know, because that's me. Like, I'll be job searching now. Nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it was like when I was working there. They will come in hand hand over fist, and it's just, right, right. It's always when you're. It's always when now you do something you can't find. It. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna say something that may not be necessarily really popular because I'm from New York, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of New Yorkers just want to stay in New York. Mm. And New York is really saturated, and there is so much going on in other cities, and sometimes. If you can. If you can, we got to take ourselves outside. You know, we have to widen that net or even international. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just have to look at unexpected areas. Because I'm a New Yorker girl. I never thought I would live in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And here I am in a Winston-Salem, North Carolina right now. I was in my <laughs> North Carolina. Yeah. I'm going doing the back and forth and I've worked for different companies and I just never thought that I would leave New York because to me I was like New York is like the it that that's just it but sometimes there are other opportunities in in other states and other city like Memphis you know different types of industries are booming and looking for skill sets that you probably developed in New York and New York is getting so expensive and I know when I tell my fellow New Yorkers that they look at me like girl I ain't going to Memphis listen let me <laughs> The thing is, is that like, and I hear you when you say it, because when you just said it, a light bulb went off, but you don't understand, like the fear, the level of uncomfortableness that just happened inside my stomach, just now, even the thought about me, uh, moving to another state. I know. Like, and I don't know, but I know that it's like, why won't we release? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and you never know what the opportunity is. You just never know what the opportunity, even international opportunities. You don't, mm-hmm. you just, just never know. And some of the things that, you know, that I've just been exposed to, like my CEO, he was like at another company in Argentina, running the Argentina division for eight years. Look at this. I'm like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you never, I've never even, and it, and it is for New Yorkers, definitely, we never, New Yorkers and people in LA, like, we're yeah. kind of, like, set in our ways yeah. Um, with that, and that is definitely something I think I'm going to look at. Yeah. It's just that I just would hate to leave my son here, you know what I mean? Like, even though he's 23. I know, um, I was like, yeah. <laughs> First of all, you guys are, like, twins, like, for real. <laughs> Hey, yo, and every time I say, oh, my God, I can't leave my son, my friends, they keep be like, girl, he is not a baby. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm just like, I just don't want to leave him. I know. It's hard. I mean, like, it was hard for me to leave my mom, you know, my family. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, my husband, we had each other when we left. So, obviously, there was comfort there. That's but, another thing, being a single woman. Is, yeah. 
it's like oh yeah but I also have so I have a few people that I've met here that come from different places like people from New York is just really hard to leave like I have friends in Atlanta that came from like Memphis and Denver and Oklahoma and Minnesota you know but New Yorkers you know I mean we, we do have a pretty big New York population in, in Atlanta mm-hmm. but you know when you look at some of the reports and you look at like cities that are booming and cities that are looking for really good talent guess what new york and la are usually not on that list yeah you know it's like charlotte it's winston-salem it's raleigh it's um you know maybe even like austin it's other cities that are looking for talent and also as a bonus the cost of living is so much better so you can actually live your life you know i travel to new york all the time Mm -hmm. and i love new york i love to visit but i don't know if i can ever live there again like i've just gotten accustomed to a quality of life that's a little bit different and i like it you know um out when you want to yes like a quick one and a half hour flight you know i can i can get there and i can do my shopping and i can get what i need and i can see my girlfriends and it's great but then i also come back to my nice home in atlanta and i could be with my you know my new um, friends and my family so we just have to i really think as black women just in general we just have to open up that white net and realize that we don't have to necessarily stay where we are like think about like i mean literally international i have a friend who's like working in dubai now making a whole bunch of money she'll probably do that for like two years and then come back to the states but then she'll have like this real life tangible experience that she can now bring back to any company another person i know is going to china for supply chain you know she can come back to the united states and probably work for any manufacturing company after two years so there are things that you do that you kind of you know take a step back you do it and you gain the experience so now you're coming to the table with all this extra stuff in your toolkit and then you can demand even more so um do you think that what about people who like me who are like late 30s or people who are in their 40s like um, what do you, what do you suggest about that? Cause I, I'm sure you on the, on the hiring aspect, looking at resumes, is that mm-hmm. something that's frowned upon when you're older and you're doing this jumping around type stuff? No, nowadays it is not. Hello, I'm 41. <laughs> <laughs> so I am now in that age, you know, range where I'm now considered older. <laughs> then, no, they call us. I don't, don't get me started because the millennials be like, oh, yeah, girl, you know, because, you know, like the older crowd like you. And I'd be like, what? Well, like, first of all, don't get it too not a, <laughs> I'm not a part of the older crowd. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but I really, it's, 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 it's different now. It is so different. When you sit back and you look at some of the top executives and some of the moves that they have made, you go like, oh, wow, she went here. And then yeah. she went here, and then yeah. she went here. Sometimes we're so just like conscious and thinking about that, but it's all about the story, right? If you craft a good story, and it's usually a real story, it's not like you're making things up, and you say, you know, I was at this company, and it really didn't suit my skill sets. I was not able to optimize my skill sets well. And there's an opportunity that I came here, and I thought it would be great for me to learn, you know, just start building your story. So when now you're in front of a recruiter, 
in front of HR, you were able to explain why in three years you worked with two different companies. Mm -hmm. And they see that all the, first of all, the younger candidates that I interview, the millennials, they've all been all over the place because they are so not loyal. <laughs> they, are, they are not loyal at all. And no longer is it frowned upon because you've got a whole generation of people that that's how they think. So mm -hmm. now it's up to you. You know, I'm thinking, I'm looking at it as an employer. Well, what can I do when I hire these people to make sure that I'm supporting them, but also giving them incentives for them to stay? Yeah. You know, but it's, I mean, for us older, mature people, it is, <laughs> it is quite okay to move as long as it's, you have a story and you can make it strategic. Mm -hmm. People, I think employers just want to see that you're getting better mm -hmm. and that you moved into opportunities and maybe it just didn't work out because the opportunity was different from what you thought of, but you have come into the table with strong skill sets and you're selling yourself so they know like, okay, I really need this person. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, um, I had a question while you were talking. I hate when that happens and I just, <laughs> oh, so how do you, um, and how, and you can speak to as, as far as people who are listening and are just, you know, struggling or, or, or just learning, um, how to maintain their mental health, um, mm -hmm. while being say a mom or a wife, or even if you are single and, you know, just maintaining your personal life and then also maintaining your mental health, um, while, we're all out here trying to achieve the American dream. Right. Right. So I think it's important to find something that moves you, something that makes your heart, you know, the beat. And for some people it's self-care, like going to a spa. Let me tell you, you can buy me 10,000 spa, you know, treatments, and I just won't go. I Let feel me tell sad. you, and I be so taken aback how people are like, oh yeah, that massages everything, and I be there like, girl, you you pushing too hard. I'm just, I'm just. That's that's just not something that moves me. My poor husband, he got me all these like, you know, spa certificates, and he's like, what are you gonna use? I'm like, oh yeah, I need to, yeah, I need to. And I feel really bad, but that is something that doesn't, doesn't move me. Like, what moves me? I like to shop. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I like, I like to have my quiet space. I like to Netflix and chill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just about finding something that you like. And it's going to be very personal. I don't think we need to fall into, like, I mean, this whole self self-care can be so many different things. It doesn't have to be a spa. It doesn't have to be solo vacations. If that's what you want to do, that's what you, you want to do. But don't feel like the self-care that works for one person is going to work for, work for somebody. Yeah, you got to find, you got to really find like what makes you happy for that moment. Even if it's like for me, like I just like to be, like I want quiet and I want to sit back. I want to catch up on some shows. Mm -hmm. you know, and I just want to Netflix and chill. I just want to do that when I want to go online and maybe, you know, shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And then that's just, just like, you know, sometimes I want to meet up with my girlfriends and have brunch. And believe it or not, sometimes for me, going to my daughter's softball game, that for me is self-care. You know, it's yeah. about like, 
really finding out what works for you. Like, I like going to the softball games and chilling with the moms. It's a very different part of my life. It's very different from being like this career woman. It's very different from the travel. I'm usually in the burbs and then we travel yeah. all over the dark place in Georgia. It's very yeah. different. But there's something for me that's like, kind of chill about that. I'm there all day with all the weather stuff, cold heat <laughs> going on. I'm there looking, you know, whatever. But for me, that works. You know what I mean? Like that brings me joy. That so- actually resonates with me because um, I think, yeah, we just get so caught up in saying, okay, self-care, what does self-care mean? That means meditation or yoga or whatever my um, whatever I tend to do for self-care. Um, I, yeah, self-care is definitely a personal thing. Um, and it is, um, inclusive to everybody. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not, it's not the same for everyone. It's not like this. So I feel bad because I don't like yoga. I'm just not the flexible chick. I don't like meditation. Yeah. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Like, you know, embrace self care. So I'm like inflicting these images of mm-hmm. what it means to, you know, take care of myself. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't <laughs> like that stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. Know, I'm trying to meditate and I'm doing my grocery list instead. I just, I just can't. That's just not me. And then for some of my friends and for some people, like my husband, loves to meditate in the morning he has a routine and he's meditating and he's thinking i'm thinking about all the stuff i have to do thinking about a presentation like i just can't do this whole meditation thing (laughs) but that's okay it's like i had to like raise my hand and say okay so for me self-care is a little bit different i change my hair as well, mm-hmm. often that's just what I do. I get my nails done. Mm-hmm. I like to get my makeup done. So I'm a, I, I like that stuff. To me, that's self care. You know what I mean? That's I think what, that is self care. That works for me. I'm not gonna let my hair, you know, you know, do whatever I do. I'm gonna always get my hair done. That's just like <laughs> I get my hair done and go to the spa. I'm like, no, we can hold off on the spa. I'm like, rub my own back, right? <laughs> And I mean, even in in doing that stuff, it makes you feel good. Like it gives you a euphoric feeling, you know what I mean? Like those that, you know, whatever, what that's your vice. And I mean, every time, you know, I got a pair of Louis Vuitton um, desert boots and I was like, I was feeling good, you know, like it was euphoric for me and I love wearing them. So I totally get the whole shopping thing. And yeah, I just never looked at it as um no you need to you definitely need to assess you know what works for you and what makes you feel good and then you can label it that's your way of doing that's my self-care that's your self-care girl i was feeling all types of bad like i don't know why i don't like yoga (laughs) (laughs) so is that how you always decompress though like because you travel a lot and then come home and you have to like go straight into mommy mode and Mm -hmm. wife mode so like how do you balance all that I mean, and do the self care. I do the self. I mean, I still have my quiet time. I mean, when the kids are in bed, I'm chilling. I'm watching TV. I usually go to bed a little bit late, so it's not really good. Mm. It gives my husband and I an opportunity to chat and catch up, you know. And there's just times where I'm, you know, if I'm the travel. The travel for me is also self care because I got a lot of quiet time. You know, at night is quiet time for me. I, you know, I FaceTime the family. We, you know, we do that. But like for a good one hour or two hours, 
I may just be checking emails and stuff like that. So, I mean, there are pros to cons. There are pros and cons to everything. And I think for me, what started to when that light bulb or that haha moment came, it was like instead of me like complaining about the travel or complaining about being outside and the softball game with all this stuff going on, is to change the narrative myself. It was like I get to do this. Like, I get to watch my kids play. Like, I get to travel, even though at times it can be crazy. Like, I get to fly on a plane. Like, remember, I'm from the West Indies, and I know so many people who don't get to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I've been to South Africa, I did my study abroad, and I've seen, like, what real poverty is and people who feel like they can't do anything and they're stuck in their environment. Mm -hmm. So I had to have like a moment with myself because I felt like I was complaining about this and I was complaining about that. And I was like, wait a minute, I get to do this. Like I get to have a family. It's demanding, but I get to have a family. And I also get to say, no, I'm not going to go out like, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't necessarily have the most active social. I don't like going to clubs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but I used to want to like try to be at certain events and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. It's not, that's not what you want to do. It's like, I don't really want to do that. You know, yeah. and sometimes you're picking and choosing between the stuff and it's okay. And it's okay to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm really tired. And I'm going to stay home and I'm going to Netflix and chill. You yeah. Know? And it takes the pressure off of that. Again, yeah. that quote unquote, got to be the superwoman, got to yeah. do everything. That just takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the superwoman syndrome is taking the pressure off of ourselves. Absolutely. This, I this think a lot of it is. Perfection. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's okay if my house is not clean, spick and span every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, and if you got a problem with it, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know? <laughs> it's okay. Like, right. you know, I used to, you don't think this is even crazier, but like Sundays, like if I was traveling and stuff like that, I would cook like three meals. Mm-hmm. I would put them in Tupperware. I would share it out. I would have it all types of labels. Yes. Oh, okay. Sure. So it was like um, the stuff for wives. <laughs> like I was doing that. And then Monday morning, I'm jumping on a plane, doing a presentation. Like, And then I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. And the yeah. reason why I was doing that, because I was like, I want my family to eat healthy meals. And my husband, God bless his soul, he doesn't cook. Mm. So thank God for Uber Eats. Yeah. Thank God for delivery, where I would be like, okay. And then he'd be like, well, I'll make the sides and I'll just get like a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Everybody get that rotisserie chicken from the supermarket. Girl, I'll be getting that thing and putting jerk sauce on it. Baby. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like the jerk chicken from the hut. You just put that, you just do what you gotta do. Mm-hmm. But I was putting that pressure on myself because I was like, I really want my kids to eat healthy. I really want so thank God for Uber Eats, thank God for like grocery delivery, thank God for other things that we're able to do to supplement that because if I'm at a softball tournament and it's a two-day tournament, how am I, I going to make time to like do that? I was cooking at night, like 11 p.m. night. And, and wiping yourself out. Yes. Making some jerk chicken. <laughs> <laughs> he likes jerk chicken. And my husband was like, 
right. Like, you really don't have to do that. I was like, no. I don't want them eating McDonald's. Yeah. I don't want this. I want to make sure that they're eating healthy. He was like, we can go to Publix and get the rotisserie chicken. I'll put some broccoli. You know, yeah. we'll be fine. I was like, you need to learn how to cook. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, it's taking the pressure off and being like, and then like, it's okay if they have McDonald's once in a while. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's okay. I mean, they, my daughter doesn't like McDonald's, but it's okay if they do, like, Chick-fil-A or Wendy's or whatever, a fast food place yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? But, like, I was putting that pressure on myself because, like, I felt that means, like, to be a good mom, mm-hmm. that meant that I had to do all of that, too. And if I did it, that meant, like, I wasn't a good mom. Yeah. That's all mom's guilt because here I am traveling for work and I'm yeah. like, well, the least I can do is make a good meal, but girl, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and you know, the, I think a lot of the times we, the pressure is, is rooted in what other people perceive us as, you know what I mean? Like we're always worried about what they're going to see us as like, oh, they're going to see me as a failure. Oh, they're going to see me as, you know, this bad mom, or they're going to see me as this bad employee or whatever. And it's just like, like you were saying before, how you just was like, I'm just going to be me. Like, I'm not going to put this pressure to be anything other than who I am and what I have been with for. (laughs) That's what, you know what I mean? And I I just, it's it's so right. It's so hard, though. It's easier said than done. Oh, my God. I remember I was at the bus stop with my daughter one time. She was really young. And I think I was going to be, I think I was going to Seattle, like, the next day to meet with um, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Like, oh. I'm so sorry you have to work. I said, excuse me? (laughs) She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You have to travel. I was like, what? What? Wait, wait, who? Right. You know, I don't really have to. My husband works. and I'm so sorry. I always feel so bad for mothers that work. How do you guys do it? First of all. I know you were getting lit. Like, you know, I'm very expressive. Yeah. So, like, you can look at my face and know that I'll uh-huh. be completely disgusted. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, do not feel sorry for me. Yeah. I was like, this is a choice. Mm-hmm. Do not feel sorry for me. Just like how you have a, you made a choice to stay home. Because mm-hmm. I can look at you and I can say, I feel so sorry for you. Mm-hmm. You're like what do you do all day aren't you bored well what about your own livelihood you can you control your money like I can go into that but it's a choice as women we get to make choices and yes. if stay at home mom yes does that mean that you're going to be the best room mom for my daughter okay? <laughs> if something goes down at that school I know your ass is there so right you know what I mean so I am supportive of different routes women take like if you want to be a stay-at-home mom be a stay-at-home mom and be the best damn stay-at-home mom you can be and if you want to be a working woman be a working woman you know that's our choice as individuals but mm-hmm. don't make anybody make you feel bad about your decision but, yeah about your decision make me feel bad about my decision i was like first of all i would poke my eyeballs out if i was a stay-at-home mom that's mm-hmm. not for me <laughs> That's just yeah. not for me. But because it's not for me doesn't mean it's not for you and vice versa. Yeah. So sometimes like other women put all these pressures on us too. Yeah. 
make yeah. us feel badly about our own choices. Yeah. And then in turn, um, in closing, what I just wanted to talk about was the whole, we suffer in silence. Oh. Um, and we don't speak up about it. And it's like, like, for instance, you know, someone could have said that to me and like, um, of course I would, uh, like you, I would say, don't feel bad for me. Like I'm very quick with it, but then internally, um, with my anxiety girl, that would just make my whole, <laughs> well, am I making the right choice? You know, like, and it just right. causes, um, me to suffer in silence, uh, with a lot. Um, f for fear that people will see me as weak if I speak up about anything. Um, well, basically for fear for seeing for anybody to see me as weak. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people out there and a lot of women in general who we're out here, we're in this rat race, rat race, especially us New Yorkers, <laughs> especially us New Yorkers. We're in this rat race. Um, we're trying to have the best car, have the best house, all of this stuff. And at the same time, um, live up to this superwoman stereotype. Cause that's what I'm going to call it. Like yes. this. And then we're suffering in silence too, as well. Um, yes. and it's just breaking us down. So I feel like, you know, Katie you are the prototype girl. You got it all together. <laughs> no, it's been some work. You know, I'm glad you brought up the whole supper in silence piece. So one of my friends told me that she was like, oh, but Katie, you always got your stuff together. And I was like, no, I don't. Because I felt like my, you know, a few of my friends weren't coming to me and asking me how I was doing. The assumption mm -hmm. was I was always doing well. Yeah. And I realized I'm I was not sharing. I wasn't sharing my own struggles. You know what I mean? So because I wasn't talking about it, there was a sense that, oh, she got her stuff together. Mm -hmm. There is something about, yeah, we don't want to always be spilling our guts and talking our business, especially if it affects other people. But yeah. it's okay to talk about your own challenges. And I think that's something that I really suffered for from, especially younger in my 20s, and I would even say early 30s, where I wasn't sharing with my friends like how I was feeling when I was feeling depressed. Oh my God, in my early 20s, I suffered from like, real depression you know what I mean and I just couldn't figure out why I was depressed but I was also like really afraid of sharing that with my friends because they'd always see me as like the strong one the one that you can always go to mm -hmm. and then like finally I was like well you guys don't even come to me and ask me how I'm doing they're like but you always look like you're doing fine I get it all the time and it's so hurtful that it still happens to this day um, and it's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, we're all human. And like, I, I don't understand how one person can, you can say, cause you're so strong that this person doesn't have the capability of being hurt or being depressed. It's just the weirdest it's, concept. Yeah. Yeah, so you got to check on your strong friends. Mm -hmm. You got to check on your friends. You got to ask, how are you doing? You got to make time. You know what I mean? And then also we got to share. So when someone is asking you how you're doing, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. But like, no, actually, I'm not fine. I'm really stressed out. Go down the list. You know what I mean? Like, I would be like, yeah, I'm doing well. 
oh yeah, everything is fine. I love my kids. They're really great. No, they're not. They're really annoying me right now. You know. <laughs> Well, that's okay, you know, but like I was literally, I was so afraid. I don't know why, Latoya. I don't know why I was afraid to like say I was not okay. And once I started opening up about being not okay, then I felt like my friends were more like, oh my God, so you are human. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I was like, yes. And then then they started checking up on me a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But um, it's it, it was really, really really hard to open up and to say what was really going on what was really on my mind and even the same with my husband believe it or not you know he'd be like you're not okay what's wrong like I'm fine I'm good I got this you know and he's like no like I'm your husband you're supposed to let me help you you know and so that took a lot of work like I said it's 16 years of work but <laughs> so so what do you what 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 would you leave with the listeners what do you want to leave with the listeners um in closing um as far as being the superwoman <laughs> <laughs> or the perception of the superwoman, the perception of the superwoman. I would mm-hmm. say like it's okay to not be okay Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's okay to share those experiences that really just aren't good, but then use those experiences. I feel like there's some kind of energy, like once you're able to release it, then you can take it and manifest it and make it your own. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. the same thing that happened when I was at work. Once I released it and became my true authentic self at home and and at work, I started to see my career, you know, kind of like go up. I started to see doors open up that were never there before. And I was like, really? You want me to do this? Okay. You know what I mean? And then also at home, my relationship got better because I wasn't trying to be like this perfect wife and this perfect mom, you know? Like let your guard down and be like, you know what? I am not one of those women who are like, I can do it all by my damn self. I don't need a man. Oh, oh no, no, no. I need a man, a partner or whatever your preference is. I need someone. Like I need people. Yep. I need a tribe of friends. I need folks around me. I need help. I need my mom. I need my kids. I am not one of those folks that I can do it all by my damn self, you know, because yeah. it really takes a village, A, to raise your kids. It takes the support from your husband. It takes the support from your friends and your parents. It's a, it's a real village. I cannot do it by myself. You know what I mean? Like the fact that my husband is even around, you know, like real talk, there are women out there that are really doing it by themselves because their husbands, ex-husbands, baby daddy or whoever is not around and Mm -hmm. shame on them for not being around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's another added pressure. So I'm always, I always think about that too. You know what I mean? Because my husband is so involved, it does enable me to be me, to be able to travel and do what I got to do because if he wasn't, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're telling us we need to release (laughs) Um, let go, let, let go. go, and then what else did you say? And become a, become your true authentic self. Yeah, become your true authentic self in every way, wherever yes. you are. 
Yes, I totally agree. Thank you so much, Katie. Yeah. I love, I love, love, love this conversation. Like, yeah. I hope you'll want to join us again when we can talk about some other stuff. You know, we still haven't talked about, we haven't done our colorism talk. Oh, Even girl. though I'd be so drained with that convo, girl. Girl, it needs to be addressed. Oh, no, stay tuned. That's like part two. Stay tuned, part two. So much to say, and I want to talk about that as far as and that in in comparison, that is one of the stressors in my life for anxiety. So we definitely have to talk about that, girl. I can. That's part two. I'm a dark skinned woman. (laughs) Yes, so we definitely need to talk about that, but I talk about that uh, and I'll be in contact with you for that one um so but thank you so much for joining the analog girl part you are now officially a part of the analog girl community yes, and the girl. analog girl family um and I really really appreciate having you it's been great okay. and uh that's it okay. we done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much um bye bye All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Katie and it was very good for me. You know, I never leave you guys without affirmations to take throughout the week to encourage you um, and to uh, give you some positive thoughts throughout the week. So in light of what we were talking about as far as being a superwoman and the pressures that we have because we're trying to be superwomen out here or supermen, um, let's just go into some affirmations about success and confidence. One is I have the knowledge to make smart decisions for myself. I have the knowledge to make smart decisions for myself. I am and always will be enough. I am and always will be enough. I let go of any negative feelings about myself or my life and accept all that is good. I let go of any negative feelings about myself or my life and accept all that is good. I am courageous. I am willing to act and face my fears. I am courageous. I am willing to act and face my fears. I am a powerful creator. I create the life I want and I enjoy it. I am a powerful creator. I create the life I want and I enjoy it. All right, y'all. So I hope we're going to go throughout this week and we're going to create the lives that we want. We are powerful creators and we, we are the ones, we are the creators of our destiny. We are the creators of our future. We can shape and mold the life that we want. So here's to doing that guys. Thanks for listening. I ain't going to hold y'all and I ain't going to let y'all hold me. Bye.